This week on Art of the Air features the hosts of the new podcast, She Said, He Said, with Karen Davich and Times columnist Jerry Davich. Next, we speak with novelist Amy Lakeberg about her new book, Ancient Names. Our spotlight is on the Besnick Center for the Arts 2023 Art Bash on June 24th and the Vivian Mayer exhibit opening July 7th with Jana Block. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself to art. And show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, and WDSO 88.3 FM. Our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. I'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight from the Lebesnik Center for the Arts, the Executive Director, Janet Plock, and she's going to talk to us about some of the exciting things coming up uh, very soon. Janet, welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank Aloha, you so much. Janet. Oh, hi, Esther. Thank you, Larry and Esther. Glad to be here. Well, you have one of your great annual events coming up called All You Need Is Love, and it's your Art Bash 2023. So tell us all about that, what to expect, and even if you can still get tickets. And then we want to move on to your exhibit. Sure. So uh, you can still get tickets, um, and you can just visit us online at lubesnickcenter.org. Um, our annual fundraiser is themed, All You Need Is Love, and you're welcome to come in any any kind of dress you like, but um, there is kind of a mod slash hippie theme, so <laughs> you can come early 60s or later 60s, as you wish, and uh, we have a great DJ. We will have artists uh, at the event doing art on site. We have... Um, wonderful food and uh, a great photo booth guy that has a great backdrop and we think it'll be a lot of fun so we certainly where is it going to be at it will be a blue chip it will be transformed however Mm -hmm. we have a great committee this year um, including cool lighting and uh, yeah I don't think that it's definitely much more extravagant than oh and we also have a live auctioneer and we've never done well we haven't done that in a decade so we have a few live auction items. We have some incredible um, 
stays in Puerto Rico, uh, a week in Palm Springs. Um, so there's some wonderful items aside from, you know, good art and uh, like restaurant certificates and jewelry and so forth. So you can join us. Is the auction available online as well? Yes, the auction will be available one week prior to the event. Not yet. They, they tell you not to put it up too early. So you will be able to bid online, whether you're there or not, a week ahead. Perfect. Excellent. Yes. Sounds like a fun event. But now we really want to talk about what the Lebesnik is all about, your upcoming exhibit. Uh, and that's, uh, tell us all about what's going on. It's going to be in your gallery. Uh, the opening reception is Friday, July 7th. So tell us about it. Sure. Uh, the name of the exhibit is called Vivian Mayer in Color. Um, Vivian Mayer, there was a documentary about her several years ago that was up for an Academy Award. It's um, it's a true story about a French immigrant who uh, moved to first New York and then Chicago. Um, she worked as, to make a living, she worked as a nanny to many um, families on the North Shore, but she uh, she had a love for photography and unlike a lot of um, some of the stories about her are that she was, you know, don't, I don't know, actually, if she was completely self-taught, but, but she definitely was sophisticated. She wasn't a complete amateur in terms of her um, knowledge about photography. She's known as a street photographer, and she took images of Chicago in the, mostly in the, throughout the 60s and 70s that are really a great portrait of the city and its people, um, somewhat racially uh, segregated and so forth during that time. Um, and she had a love of just, her camera was with her wherever she went. Um, anyhow, this group of photographs, um, there's gonna be between 50 and 60, and they some of them have never been shown before. She had, um, rolls of film that had never been um, actually developed. And um, this is uh, her work in color. She's more, she's been more known originally for her black and white. Does this also include her color self-portraits? There are some self-portraits. Um, there, it was curated by somebody, we're, we're getting it, it's on loan from the Chicago History Museum. And, um, so they actually had a curator and then we suited it to our space. So there are some self-portraits, but there are just um, photographs about everything in life <laughs> that you can imagine. <laughs> Came down the street and yeah. And a sad part about her life is during her life, she really wasn't known as a photographer. It wasn't until years later that she was actually discovered her work. So it was kind of a very secretive thing. Not that she was being secretive, but just like, oh, my gosh, look at what she did as a street photographer. So, Yeah, well, I think that's the story of women in the 20th century, actually. So um, I don't think that her ambition necessarily was to be known or that she was being secretive. Um, but I think, and, and there are different points of view on this. Um, so actually one of the great events that we'll have during the exhibit is a woman named Pamela Banos who did write a book about Vivian Mayer. Um, and it is, she will be speaking on Sunday, July 30th at 4.30. So we will have an event with her. Um, she kind of tells a different story than the documentary. 
So it's, it's interesting to know that there are different points of view in her place in history as to whether she was actually discovered or um, so forth. But she, but yeah, most, most women um, did their work in uh, anonymity for most of our lives throughout history. So it's the story of women. It truly <laughs> is. That there are 700 undeveloped roles of film still. I think actually a lot more, truthfully, Esther. I'm not, I can't be quote, you might have the right number, but I, I thought there were like even a lot more. Yeah, she loved to snap photos. Um, <laughs> no way, you know, she could have developed it all. <laughs> In our last few moments, tell us the dates of the exhibit and Art Bash. So Art Bash is on Saturday, June 24th, starts at 530. And the Vivian Mayer exhibit, the opening for the exhibit is Friday, July 7th. It's a first Friday. Of course, all our events and admission is free. Look at look us up online. Sounds great. Janet Block, the executive director from Lebesic Center for the Arts. Thank you for being on Art on the Air Spotlight. Thank you both. Thanks, Janet. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, on WVLP, 103.1 FM, and WDSO, 88.3 FM. We are pleased to welcome Jerry and Karen Davich to Art on the Air. Karen and Jerry recently launched their first podcast, She Said, He Said, for the Times Media Company and Lee Enterprises. It is similar to their former Casual Fridays radio show on Lakeshore Public Media. Together they explore the dynamics behind relationships, families, couplehood, and the differences between the sexes. Thank you both for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. Ooh, aloha, aloha and welcome. Too. We like that too. <laughs> like Jeff Spicoli there. How we always like to start our interviews is finding out your background. And I think since it's she said, he said, we'll let the ladies go first. But we always want to find your story, how you got from where you were to where you are now. Karen, you're number one on the runway. Tell us about yourself. Oh, uh, well, there's not a whole lot to tell. Um, how'd you get here? How did you get that's here? That's what you tell her. <laughs> yeah. Tell her um, how'd you get here. Well, <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we met. Larry. That's how we met. I, I asked him a loaded question, like, how'd you get here? Karen's like, but um, no. Um, Sorry, like, okay. so, so well, like, what start, about well, grade school and family well, dynamics? Okay, so real, real quick, I, I, it's a fun fact about me. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. So if I ever wanted to become a country star, I have that background. Um, <laughs> my family moved to Maryville, Indiana in 1976, Ooh. where my brother and I attended St. Peter and Paul School up until late eighth grade. And then we uh, went to Andrea and, gradu- and I graduated in 88. And then She's a Catholic girl. I am, yes. And um, She still has fun. <laughs> Didn't Billy Joel say that? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And and then on, in 1994, I got my uh, degree in dental hygiene from IUN. And so yeah, I was just kind of um, going through life uh, until um, I met Jerry in technically 2000. I met you face to face in 2007, and but I've been reading his work for years, and um, so then. My life went from black and white to technicolor as soon as I met Jerry. Oh, boy, look Aww. at this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I stole that from him. Yeah. <laughs> there. I, did, I did write that, actually, in a column, so she didn't steal those words. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, actually, Larry, you asked how she got here, and that's the question I first asked her when we met. Uh, we were on a bike trail ride, a region ride with dozens of bicyclists mm-hmm. from Beverly Shores to Lansing. And she stopped along the way somewhere and jumped into this bike ride. And I asked her the first question, so how'd you get here? 
And she took it to some philosophical, lofty exposition. <laughs> yeah, I started telling you the story of my life. Yeah, right. Well, I was divorced. I got two kids. They literally wanted to know how I got to Griffith. Because yeah. that's where I met the whole bike biking group yeah. was Griffith, Indiana, when they all started in Beverly Shores. And so I was like, oh, I drove. Yeah, that's, Sorry. That's all it was. Yeah. yeah, so awkward and embarrassing. And so same question with you, Larry. How'd you get here? And she goes, well, well I was born well, in 1970. Nashville, yeah. Indiana. It's a small little community. Yeah, my dad was getting his master's. So anyway, so you parachuted in. That covers everything. Uh, thank <laughs> you very much. It, yeah, yes, that's exactly it. And, Did and that help, Larry? Yeah, and uh, we often see you guys uh, occasionally on Facebook on the bike trail as to this yes. day, right? That's why we do very that. special to us. Yeah. It is. Well, I'm a cyclist also, so you know. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I was going to try squeezing it my little 10 mile bike ride in, but I didn't do that. Between we had an interview that canceled, and then I thought had to do some things for Lakeshore. So, well, Jerry, tell us about your background a little bit. Tell us how you got from where you were to where you are now. You're a Gary guy. I'm a Gary guy. Yeah, no Nashville history, no exciting, colorful roots that Karen has. No, just a boring Gary guy, raised, born and raised in Gary, the rest of my family, a family of steelworkers, and uh, I could not do that. And since I was a teenager, I fell into the food business because my dad wanted a big dream of having a food business. So I did that for 20 years before I got into any of the writing and any of the stuff I'm doing now is all food-based stuff. And let me see, I went to uh, Wirt High School in the Miller section of Gary, where I did not graduate from because I'm a high school dropout. Uh, no college degree, no education. I'm the most uneducated person ever on this show <laughs> and the most uncreative as well. So ha- thanks for having us on for that. Did you always have a gift for storytelling? No, I did not. I'm, I'm no, socially didn't tell awkward. tell tales at home? <laughs> no, I didn't do that either. I, I don't, you know, when we go to... We go to gatherings and parties and stuff. People start talking. There's some people who really tell great oral stories, right? And people gather around them and gravitate toward them. And you can listen to them talk. I'm not that guy either. So I'm really not. And I was not good in English when I was uh, in school. And I don't know how I got here. It's all just a a big drunken pinball that just (laughs) somehow somehow found his way here and then found my way with her. And it all kind of snowballed from there. It looks like from Karen's expression, she thinks you are a very good storyteller. <laughs> oh, she's just in love. Don't trust her. You, you know, you, it's like asking my mom. You should say the same thing. We have, I, and I'm not exaggerating. We have a, a large, large cabinet over in the living room. We have a large cabinet here. It's to my right, full of your writing awards. They just uh, don't give that up to wayward pinballs. Wayward pinballs. <laughs> Wayward drunken pinballs. Wayward, thank, thank you, you, Esther. You're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Esther's paying attention. Yeah. And I don't really drink, so it's just a wayward pinball. Well, and you've been together for a long time, but you're really Whoa. only celebrating your first anniversary of marriage. So so tell us yes. a little bit about that story. You know, you were together for what, 10, 15 years? She wouldn't marry me, Larry. Uh, well, the she only thing marry. But on Facebook she would the on Facebook she would kind of hold I remember holding up her finger like it's missing a thing and a little signs like when am I going to get married? You know, so I thought she was ready, but no, you know, we were, uh, we started dating in 2010. In 2012, we became engaged. And then... Then I've been waiting ever since. Yeah, then. that's really tick, the true tock, story. Tick, tock, that's tick, really the tock. true story. The years peeled it was, away. It was not Jerry. The months peeled it away. Was me. A decade peeled away, Larry. <laughs> and I'm still waiting, tapping my toe. Yeah, and then one night I said, you know what, Jerry, let's just get married. Right. And he didn't take me seriously. You were writing at your desk and you turned around like, what? Well, 
I said, no, let's just go to the courthouse and get married next week. Whoa, no, 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 no. Can't do that after all this. Yeah, so. And tell us about that. I I mean, I know from seeing it on Facebook, but tell us about uh, where you got married. It's kind of special. Oh, well, you know, in the... In the 10 years or so that we were engaged, everywhere we'd go that I'd see she would. that would be pretty or whatever, I said, oh, we're getting married here. We're getting married here. We're Could getting be married anywhere. there. Could be somebody anywhere. in a gazebo. Somebody's Could be Chicago. A parking lot that was lovely. San Francisco. Didn't matter. Golden Gate Bridge Park. Whatever it was. Yeah. The very first time that Jerry took me to the Aquatorium in the Miller section of Gary, I think in, when we started dating in 2010, it never left me. It just, it, it stayed in my heart. It stayed in my head. It's the most gorgeous building so special it's just beautiful and, and it's I, old it's more I, than a century old and I, my mom used to go there and she was a girl i was never familiar with it growing up and he took me to this gorgeous place I was like, yeah it was arboreum you know we did that when we were researching the book lost gary which yes. we, wrote. we wrote that together five years ago or so mm-hmm. and we did a lot of research on gary and miller and that was part of our trip for yes. the research so that's why we went there and i it never it never got out of my memory and so when we were looking for a a place I said well let's get married there and, and I said in Gary <laughs> <laughs> and I said yes we're getting married I want to get married at the Aquatorium and I'm so happy we did it was just beautiful and I was excited to show my friends that you know a lot of them were like in Gary but that's um, why I made a joke about that people right. have these but I wanted them to see yeah. that this wanted to see why I wanted it at this Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's places. right on the lakefront, right on Lake Michigan's behind and then, us. And the history if you've ever been there. and the architecture, and they got it when they when they saw it. They're like, oh yeah, I can see why. It is beautiful. It definitely is a jewel along the lake shore there. It and I remember is. seeing your wedding pictures there on Facebook. So, you know, because we're all Facebook friends here and everything. Yes. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the book, about uh, your book about Gary and, you know, yeah. your research that went for it and, you know, everything. And just tell us, uh, you know, why why that's important. I know there's a lot of people that are like looking to that. We've had the DK Devils on talking about that. But, you know, tell us about the book. You know, it's interesting, Larry. Whenever um, we I talk about uh, at public presentations, I always ask, "Who's from Gary?" I'm always kind of curious. I do it at private things too. I'll just mm-hmm. kind of nudge up somebody. Are you from Gary? And so many people raise their hands. It's amazing. The yeah. Gary natives, such as myself, mm-hmm. I'm like the poster child for white flight. I always tell people that. That was that was that was me. 1980 when my parents moved out of the city to go to Portage. But the reason for the book is um, Arcadia Press and the History Press contacted me and asked if I'd write this book about Lost Gary because I'm a writer and I'm from Gary and all that. And I, of course, I'm a smart person. I said, no, because I, I'm <laughs> what not, do I know about Gary? Yeah, I'm not authorized for this. I mean, I just write, you know, and I just mm-hmm. was from Gary. It's me. I can write a book, but they asked me two or three times and I finally did it. Thanks to Karen. She convinced me to do it. Yeah. So yeah, we, uh, toured around and I revisited places that I kind of forgot about oh, to be honest, that was, because I, I wasn't born and raised. Really? I know Gary very well, I think. But I learned so no, much. It was fascinating. Yeah, we forgot how big it is and how yes. interesting it is. All the pockets of very colorful, interesting people. Yeah. We just forget. To, it has a simple paint-by-number reputation nationally and regionally, which is very unfair, and I've always thought that. But when you actually go to Gary, drive around, I just drove a new colleague at the Times newspaper um, around Gary just to introduce it. This is the realities of Gary, Indiana. It's not maybe what you think it was. So I think our book did the same thing. Our book took people back, took readers back to the yes. day one U.S. Steel got formed and how everything went from the magic city to the miracle city, industrial city, murder capital of the world, 
where it is today, et cetera. Yeah. So that's what Lost Gear is kind of a time capsule in many ways. And mm -hmm. older readers who were raised there kind of get sad or mad when they read it. Yeah. Younger readers who don't know what happened, they go, wow, so this it's is what more than Michael Jackson's hometown. Yeah, for right. instance, exactly. <laughs> so, Jerry, where um, do you find all the archival information for it? Were the libraries helpful or there's, is there another archival Resource. No, libraries are very helpful, especially IUN and the Calumet Archives. Steve McShane was there when we were um, doing research for the book, and he was most helpful with oh, old wow. photos and research. We went into the IUN, um, the archives, which Karen loves history. Oh. I don't care for history too much. Wow. I'm just not a historian by trade. Yeah. And we went in there, and she blew the dust off the old book. She just turned the page over, you know. Of Northwest Indiana history. She really loved is I had to, like, drag her out. Like, we got to go right now. Because there was always a reporting process and a writing process. Yeah. I like the writing process more mm -hmm. than the reporting. Karen likes the reporting more and research. So she loved doing that. And, uh, yeah, there was libraries. And, of course, all I had to put something out on social media. We're working on this book project. And boom, 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 yes. all this information <laughs> came in. We had enough material for three books. We could have wrote a War and Peace-sized book on <laughs> Lost Gear <laughs> and found Gary. Yes. And rediscovered so Gary true. and reimagined Gary as the current I mean, mayor. Like after the book was published and we were uh, doing uh, book signings and, and the publicity for the book, we had people coming up, well, you should have talked to me. Yes. When you right. write your second book on Gary, talk well, are you to going to? Is there going to be another yeah. book, whether it's on Gary or not? Uh, probably not specifically on Gary. The, the, the book we wrote after Lost Gary was Crooked Politics of Northwest Indiana because, again, uh, History Press kind of approached me and mm -hmm. said, well, we like this book. You want to do another one? And then we just came up with crooked politics because it's such easy. It's an easy topic. <laughs> and was, yeah. A lot of material. Yeah, a lot of material. Was Wasn't of hard material. to find sentenced uh, public officials who were either in the past. Yeah, or now. So we dated that back decades, just as like we did Lost right. Gary. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've, I mean, we've done four books, three of us together. The the third book it is Andrea in high school. It's her. It's her yeah, high school. Yeah, they were. We were uh, commissioned at the time of uh, Dr. Banta to write a history of Andrean for their 60th anniversary. But a lot of kind of um, things got in the way of it being published, one of them being COVID, one of them being uh, Bishop Hine uh, being re relocated to- uh, Back to Wisconsin North, again, Wisconsin. right? So we lost with the Geary And Dr. Banta being also relocated. So it still hasn't been published, but no. it's waiting and we really want it out there because we, we enjoyed that and Karen really had a passion for it because of course that was her school. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about Catholics I never knew, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the name of everyone happens for a reason. We're so used to everything happens for a reason, but it's so beautiful. Everyone happens for a reason. Oh, thank you, Esther. That's kind of you. Yeah, it was the first book, book I wrote and it was self-published and it's not my best work in general, but the concept was, and I still believe in the concept and I hand out these books a lot for public events and as a business card for people because the concept behind it is so powerful, I think, because everybody believes that esoteric or godly, everything happens for a reason. Someone's dead. Oh, it happened for a reason. You got a new job, happened for a reason. And I never really agreed with that concept. It's a little too much esoteric and Zen for me, but everyone happens for a reason. I do believe in that. And I try to teach it and preach it and mm -hmm. tell people to connect the dots. Like when you meet somebody, why are they in your life? Why did you get close to somebody? Why are we connecting with Larry and Esther right now? How did I find Karen? What was your mentor when you were a kid? Can you revisit and use that mentor, use that connection? So everyone happens for a reason. And if you have the reticular activator in your head to look for these things, it's like when you buy a new car. What do you see on the road the next day? You see your damn car everywhere, right? <laughs> that car, that make and model is like everywhere. You go, I never saw it before. Well, that's because your reticular activator is engaging and it happens with connections and people just like it does cars. 
You know, Jerry, as a writer, what advice would you give to some young person or anyone that's interested in starting writing? What's the way to, I mean, you, you obviously had no real formal training. I mean, you started out as a cartoonist, quite frankly. I mean, you know that. But I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but what is it? And I think, don't you do lectures or things on that on writing? But, you know, what's your advice to a young writer? Well, I always tell young writers, and I've been telling them even recently, we have some like younger reporters at the Times, and I'll tell them just write. I mean, writers have to write. You can't talk about writing. You can't discuss it. You can't dissect it. You can't overanalyze it. You can't get in your way. You can't intimidate yourself. Just write. Belch it out. Belch out whatever you want. Then you have to go back and rewrite and rewrite and edit and see the world in a different way. So and I also think I always look for narrative storytelling techniques. Look for a complication and a resolution. I always tell writers that. I tell myself that. Most of my columns, if you dissect them or study them, they usually have a complication up front and a, and a resolution at the end. And it dates back at Shakespeare. Dates up to now 60 minutes. Dates up to any TV show, any movie, any song. It has that basic formula. Usually you can engage readers that way, engage a complication, a problem, and then try to solve it with them or show them how somebody else solved it and look for those dynamics. And I think a lot of young writers get intimidated by, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. And the grammar's not right and the spelling's not right. And I can forget all that. Writing is self-expression. So express yourself. Then you can tidy things up later. That's what I tell people. I tell Karen the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, she wrote the... um, preface for Lost Gary. I mean, I tidied it up, but she wrote that and it's really powerful. It's the best part of the book, damn it. It really is. <laughs> so, so Jerry, the first published article um, that you had, was that something that was assigned to you or was that something that you wrote about that you were passionate about and submitted? So that's, a great, that first... that's a great question. Yeah. Esther. You, you guys are asking really excellent questions. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, so, so what happened? I didn't graduate high school, as I told you. About 10 years after that, I thought I would get maybe some college courses in because I was going through my existential 30s. And I was into Dostoevsky and Jean-Paul Sartre and all the sociology stuff and anthropology and all that. So, But I, had, I wanted to take some classes at a local Purdue campus just for fun. I had two kids in diapers at the time. I had no plans of ever getting a degree. I wanted to challenge myself. But they said, hey, you got to have a high school diploma. What? I said, <laughs> what's this high school no diploma stuff, right? So I had to get a GED. So I went to the Portage Adult Learning Center. I got a GED. This is 1990, exactly 10 years after I was supposed to graduate. And then I took that uh, GED and I went to Purdue a campus and took my kids in diapers and I took some classes. It was English, sociology, theology, anthropology, just for fun to challenge myself. While I was there, I was doing an English course. And Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, committed suicide, as we probably all know. I think it was 94, I'm guessing. I think of the year it was. Either way, he took his life, and I used that as a premise for a column, which I didn't know was a column. It was just an essay I wrote for school about another young rock and roller who took his life or her life needlessly or they wasted it or something. just did not work out. It was Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison. Janis Joplin. Yeah, for instance, just for instance, I used all these references because I was fascinated by how that works, that that height of fame and also the height of death and the height of waste and all that. And I just liked that concept. So I put it all together and wrote it into an essay. And my professor said, you should submit that to a newspaper. And I said, well, that's a good idea. Maybe I could. I mean, it sounds far fetched and crazy, but I did. And it got published. And along with some cartoons I was doing at the time for political cartooning for local issues, because I thought. I'm not a good artist in any way. It was really crudely drawn, but I liked the ideas just like I do now. So I drew some cartoons and handed them into the local newspapers, the Times, the Post Tribune, Michigan City, another newspaper as well. 
and they were buying them uh, like a 25 bucks a cartoon, which I thought I was just rich. They were, <laughs> Way better than that. It was genius, living a good life, drawing stupid cartoons and making some money for gas money. So that's how I backed into the business, essentially. I always tell people that I credit Kurt Cobain's death to the birth of my career. Oh. A lot of people can relate COVID to how their careers have changed as well, too. It does take those catalysts sometimes. It takes me fear to do things. It really, the fear is a, is a huge yeah, motivator for, for me. Sure it's gotten me out of my food business into this business. It keeps me employed, has a chip on my shoulder. I always afraid I'm going to lose what I have. I got to keep earning it and hustling. I mean, I'm 61. I feel like I'm 16 sometimes. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pathetic and ridiculous at the same time. I know my philosophy of life, if I refuse to grow old, I will stay young till I die. Yes. So. Perfect. And you will, Larry. I, th- I hope so. <laughs> not bad. Anyway, journalism, and you know, we're getting to our last few minutes here, believe it or not. Tell us how journalism has changed. You know, with the print model now is online. I mean, I know I personally don't take any more papers, physical papers <gasps> in the house, but I subscribe online. I mean, I just, you know, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, that's uh, so. But tell us how that's changed. I know the newsrooms used to be a, boy, now that's all changed quite a bit. So tell us about your that's- experience. Everything has changed, Larry. The whole dynamic of it has changed. And back when the online presence became a factor of the newspaper industry, and I remember that when I was involved with this, it was like a, a sideshow. No big deal. It's not going to go anywhere. We're not going to even charge for it. We're going to give it away free, right? And that changed the dynamic of everything. I think we have more, we being our world, has more readers than ever before. But to monetize that for a newspaper industry has all changed. And of course, yes, everything is online now. That's why when I meet a print reader who like wakes up in the morning, has a print newspaper on their porch and some coffee and old pal mouth cigarette in the region. I just kiss them on the lips. I say, God bless you, Charlie and Fran. Thank you for supporting journalism. Thank you for supporting local journalism. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, they, they are dwindling away. So we're trying to cater to the online readers and all the clicks are important now. I just had a Zoom meeting a couple hours ago on how to reach people with uh, search engine optimization techniques for the times. And so yeah, everything is changing and we're trying to keep up to the times. But the basic premise is, is if you engage readers, still entertain them, there's, you still have an audience and they want to know the local news. Mm-hmm. Local journalism still matters. And I think people forget that or take it for granted until it's gone. People in this region are fortunate to have these two local newspapers yes, they are. that have been you know, competing. And I've worked for both now for 15 years each almost. So I get it. But local journalism is huge. It's still alive and it still matters. It's just being delivered in a different form. Instead of like reading stories over a campfire, we're reading them over the glow of a computer screen at night. But mm-hmm. it's still there. It still attracts us. And we still need uh, local journalism because, so much, as you know, with Lakeshore Public Media, uh, I always say, and when I'm doing pledge, I says, you know, you, we have all this other things going on, but we bring you some of the local things, like when the governor's talking about COVID and everything. So I agree, it's very important. You know, we're about a minute away from wrapping up here, so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, She Said, He Said, and uh, then we'll also talk about where people can find us. So, Karen, you haven't had a chance to talk. Tell us a little about yes, that. Yes, please, please talk. Yeah, so Mark Chase uh, approached us to do a podcast in the same vein as Casual Fridays, except as a podcast. Podcast and Casual Fridays was more general um, stuff going on. This is more geared toward relationships, whether it be couplehood or families or friends. And we find that we have a plethora of topics and issues to talk about. And we get guests coming in to talk about their how they met, they've been married this long, or um, a mom of special needs daughter, or um, a mom of boys, and, and whatever. We just try to kind of go the whole spectrum of, of relationships. And it's, so far, it's it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. And you can find us, the 
it, we record at in Hobart at Create a Space Place in downtown Hobart. In downtown Hobart, right. uh, you can see us on nwi.com. Yep, and you can listen to us on Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, Odyssey, Apple. Omni. Yeah, all the all the streaming platforms somebody would go to. Yeah, we would love for you to join us. And oh God, listen yeah, and give us would, feedback. Yeah, please, we need it because we had a lot of she said a lot of heat, and we don't look the same way at life. So that's part of the dynamics of the, of the podcast. <laughs> you know, and the books are available where. Oh, they're available uh, everywhere. Everywhere, right? And you can also find it on Amazon. You can contact me for signed ones that I yeah. I mail to people all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Esther. Yeah, it's a absolutely. sweet question. Thank yeah. you. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. Karen and Jerry Davich. She said, he said, you can find it at the Times website. And it actually, mm-hmm. if you do a Google search, it comes up right away. Thank you so much for coming on Art on Thank the you. Air. Thank, Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you, Esther. Esther. Thank you, Esther. Thank you. This is Karen Matadia with It's Just Serendipity. And you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. And a passing of note, the Brazilian singer whose cool, breathy vocal style introduced bossa nova sound to America and the world with her famous English version of The Girl from Ipanema, Esther Gilberto, written by her husband, guitarist Joao Gilberto, for an album with the American tenor saxophonist Stan Getz, sadly passed away June 5th. She was 83. We would like to welcome Amy Lakeberg to Art on the Air. Amy formerly worked in the public library sector for almost 20 years. She has written her first book in the Viking fantasy genre. She also enjoys reading painting, and spending time outdoors. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Amy. Hi. Um, Thank you for having me on your show today. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Amy, and exploring your book. But we'd like to know a little bit more about you and your background and everything and, you know, what's on the book cover, but maybe a little bit more, like uh, where you grew up, school, and, you know, maybe early exploration of maybe writing and things like that. I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are. So tell us all about Amy. All right. Um, so I grew up in Frankfurt, Illinois, and I um, always wanted to be a writer since since I was probably maybe like five or six. The only way that I would sit down, um, besides like running around, would be to read books. Uh, so when I was younger, I used to write journals when we went on vacation, and I would keep them. Um, in my house and often my mom and dad would take us different places and I would be kind of like the recorder in the family. Um, my mom used to take us to the library a lot when we were growing up and uh, when I got older I decided I wanted to uh, get a degree in English. So while I was pursuing that I also uh, worked at a library uh, for about two years, and then eventually um, I went on to get my master's degree in library science. Um, and I was also busy working in the public sector for for libraries for about twenty years, mostly in the kids and teen sections of of the library. So in and school, then, Amy, were you writing for the school newspaper or the yearbook? I was actually. I was working. For the 
or I mean, I was working, writing for the school newspaper. I would often do some of the sports events. And I also liked doing um, kind of more like, what would you say, like horoscopes. And I, I did that also at the um, Joliet Junior College where I went for two years before I went to Governor State and got my um, bachelor's degree in English and teaching. Have you ever uh, worked as a teacher anywhere outside of the library system? I did. I did. I, I substituted for a few years, and I worked as a journalism teacher um, in Manuka, Illinois, for about a year. And then I, um, when I started working at the Tinley Park Library, which I had worked there for about 20 years, um, I got a good job in the youth department, and that's where I did a lot of um, work with teens I taught a lot of improv, I'm acting in improvisation classes, too, while I worked there. Do you have theater in your background at all, if you're doing improv? I learned a lot of my theater through actually working at the Tinley Park Library. The director that was there before, she had a lot of um, theater background, and we put on plays at the Tinley Park Library with the teens. So we did Wizard of Oz, and then I started doing specific improvisation classes and um small shows for for the parents there and that was a lot of fun have you taken writing classes or writing seminars yes um so when i first started in college i took journalism classes because i was going to originally pursue that and then i also took creative writing classes which i realized that i'm much more of a creative writer um and that that was who I was going to be. So speaking of writers, what writers have you admired or maybe influenced your work, you know, in your genre or even in general, what writers do you look up to for uh, like guidance and maybe for style? Oh, uh, yes. So I have quite a few writers, especially the teen section. It's always been my favorite part of the library. So Cassandra Clare, um, who wrote City of Bones, she was one of my favorite authors, and that's what really got me hooked into fantasy writing um, and reading. There was also um, Holly Black, who's written quite a few fantasy books, and also Melissa Marr, who is another one of uh, my favorite writers. And uh, so, and those are books that you probably read. How about, uh, since it's the fantasy genre, how about like in uh, other mediums, like uh, motion pictures and other types of things like that? Do you have any favorites there? Definitely. So I would say some of my work um, from this book from Ancient Names also comes from my love for the History Channel show, The Vikings, uh, which came back out about 10 years ago because I'm very into, um, into history and archaeology with uh with that with um with vikings and Nordic descent that's a very big interest of mine and uh any with anything else i mean there's a whole bunch of things out there in the fantasy uh viking world there that uh i'm thinking of a show right now and i can't come come up with the name but uh but it's in the saxon era where the vikings and things are conflicting and and he's uh he's actually a, a was a Viking that was brought, adopted or brought into the uh, Saxon world and raised, but he actually has Viking blood. Anyway, I mean, those are some interesting sword and sorcery type things. Yeah, so there's also, I was watching um, 
recently Valhalla, and that's the other Viking show that's out um, that goes or is closely related to the original one with Travis uh, Travis Hamel from the Vikings show. Um, and then there's also quite a few other ones that are very closely related to that that are also really interesting, like The Last Kingdom, I believe. I hope I'm saying that one right. Oh, that, that's the one I was thinking of, The Last Kingdom. I, yeah. I couldn't remember the name yet. Yeah, okay. So when did you start writing Ancient Names? I started writing Ancient Names about two and a half years ago. Um, so I had an idea for a story, and um, I just started writing it. And then I was in, in between like all the other things that I was doing with uh, working in the public library sector. I also had my son, and that's when the last couple of years I decided to pursue more with creative writing. I noticed that your style of writing is very dialogue heavy. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of novels, you know, have lots yeah. of description, but you use a lot of, it's almost, you know, I come from a theater background. I says it almost looks like sometimes yeah. the way a play is written where there's lots of dialogue that tells the story. So did you, is that a style you developed on your own? Did you see a author that you like that style from? No, I, I have to say I have read quite a few books and, and, you know, some of my ideas may have came from that, but the, the style that I write, I think, is kind of more specifically my own. And I think it, it does kind of remind me of script writing. And it also reminds me of, um, what am I going to say? It also reminds me of, it's not that my book's mostly like a folklore, but it kind of reminds me of that, you know, because it's shorter. So it reminds me almost like a fable or like a folklore story, sort of. Could you describe the book for us? Give us, give us a um, synopsis, please. Yeah, so basically Ancient Names is based on the decisions that um, a young woman makes from being an outcast from Romania. And it's set in about the 16th century in England. Uh, and the man that she falls in love with is of Viking descent, although it's the 1600s. So, you know, the Vikings have already, you know, gone or been, you know, because of Britain and England what they had done. Uh, but what happens is he, Eric is the character, holds a curse and she doesn't realize that at first. Uh, so besides that, she realizes that also she must face having the curse if she stays with him. Uh, meanwhile, while she's kind of deciding her fate, she meets another man named Richard who's very different and he's from the queen's court and he's like the royal entertainment that they used to have back during that time and he was a dancer so jamie's always loved music and she realizes that that maybe she wants to be in the court or da start dancing in the court um what happens along the lines of that is there's these characters one of them named bemis who's after eric because of the curse that he has and the woman that he's going to fall in love with also is going to hold the curse. So what happens is she decides to marry Eric, um, and she doesn't see Richard again for probably about seven years later um, after Eric um, does something that isn't so great uh, to, to Jamie. And so she, she's kind of fleeing from him, uh, from Eric and meets Richard again. 
And during that time period, she also, um, they're also still after her, the characters from uh, Eric's Curse. So Bimas wants her back, and there's an epic battle scene, uh, which I'll probably read between Richard and Eric. Um, and then who gets to have Jamie back? Um <clears throat> That's a good setup to go ahead and the segment you're going to read. And this is uh, Amy Lakeberg reading from Ancient Names, her book. So go ahead and uh, read that section. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, on WVLP, 103.1 FM, and WDSO, 88.3 FM. Uh, Eric said nothing. The sounds of marching were getting closer. Over the horizon, Eric could see flags and troops, the Queen's Guard. The horses were running over the hills, trying to make it to the top. Most were not. The jagged rocks were knocking most of them down, and there was little he could do. What a sight it was to behold. Jamie spied the dead bodies walking. There must be hundreds walking in like military combat. She was bound up, although she told him that she would not try to escape. She was thrown vertically over a horse, which is tied to another. She could only see the troops by looking upward, craning her neck. Is that her? Eric squinted his eyes over the mountain. It looked like a woman. Hair was, her hair was blowing, laid upon the top of a horse. Eric, step down and place your weapons on the ground. It was the captain, Diedrich, who gave the order. They were about three feet away. Eric could see Jamie's eyes looking right through him. She looked away. Eric did what he said, placed his sword first and then two daggers from his ankles. The frost giant was still unseen, hiding behind a tree to the right of the summit. Eric then saw the dancer he had seen at a ball a long time ago. He suddenly held his sword up and pointed at Eric. What are you doing? The Queen's guard rallied around him. If you think I'm handing her over so easily, think again. He spun the dust from the mountain around his boots. I call this man Eric to a duel. Whoever wins keeps the girl. That is insane, the Queen's guard yelled at him. You know that Bemis wants the girl back. What kind of trouble are you making for yourself? Eric, his hand still up. Do what they say, you foolish dancer. You have no chance in hell. Richard came forward and swiped the ground where Eric is standing. This caused him to jump. Eric grabbed his dagger and his sword. Richard slashed towards Eric. Jamie was spreading, moving around on the horse, trying to get them to stop. She kicked the guard with her feet, but the other guard kept her still on the horse. Eric came at Richard, slashing through his shield and cutting his upper arm as Richard was too busy looking at Jamie. Richard yelled, slashing his sword towards Eric's head, but didn't come up with anything. Eric grinned, taking his dagger out and slashing Richard's right ankle. Blood was trickling down. Eric ran fast, trying to guard himself from his attacker. Eric tried to go for his midsection, but Richard moved too fast and blocked him. Richard interceded and slashed Eric's face. A slow line of sight caused him to panic. Richard hits Eric's hip hard, and they both tumbled to the ground. Eric was running down, trying to get Jamie out her buckles. It looked like she was still fighting off the guard with her legs, but her arms were tied. Eric then cut across and hit Richard in the head with the bun of a shield. He fell down, perhaps the wind knocked out of him. But as he got back up, he said, it doesn't matter how many times you hurt me, I'll still get up. I will still get up and fight. I don't know what you're trying to prove. I'm always going to be better than you. Richard got back up and dusted himself off. Let's do it again, old boy. Eric pulled out his blade. Richard grabbed his sword. He sliced it through Eric's armor. 
Eric hardly noticed since he interceded on the guard. He put a dagger at his throat. Give me her now, he boomed. Richard stepped closer to the captain of the guard. He placed his hands on, on his neck and choked him out. He stabbed him in the back. He grabbed for Jamie, but Eric was already in his arms and was plopping around the horse. Got the goods, I see? Richard looked at, Jamie, looked at Jamie, but she turned away. I don't know what she sees in you. He shook his head. I know what she sees, Richard said. She sees what she can't have. She doesn't want to be stuck in the house by herself bored. You can't just lock your prize away because of your fear. Richard got back on his horse. He turned and rode back towards the city, and the guards followed him behind. Eric said nothing. He turned on his horse and made sure that Jamie was on hers. And that's the end of that chapter. Okay, excellent. It's from uh, Ancient Names, Amy Lakeberg. She's our guest today. So um, when you're developing, I know, again, I think I commented this, I don't remember if I didn't, that your chapters are really short, which makes it, I'm a big fan of that because sometimes if you just have a moment or so to read, you can just read a chapter and jump ahead. So um, where did you get that style from? Yeah, so I guess I know how, what was I going to say? Uh, I know how busy people are, too, when they're writing and or when they're, you know, living their lives. And like I said, I, I guess I like fast action scenes from, like, the movies. And, and when I see things and pictures in my mind when I write, I often think about uh, scenes for movies. So, and also... Um, I kind of think of like folklore or like fables and and I also wanted this book to be a sequel and that's kind of why I wanted to make it a little bit shorter. Well, I know reading the end, you leave a lot of things hanging or some things hanging, so you obviously set it up for a sequel. Are you in the midst of doing that or have you are you started the uh, sequel? I have I've actually started it for probably about like 6 months now, but it's still in the development stages because I have not sure if I wanted to make it into two or three books. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll come out in the next year or so. Are you thinking about any other, now obviously you're working on this as maybe a, a sequel and or series. Is there anything else outside of that genre you'd like to write about uh, different, you know, genres all together? I mean, do you, or do you want to stay within this kind of fantasy uh, sword and sorcery uh, uh, genre? Um, so I've also, I'm writing a, it's another fantasy book, but it's a, um, it's a werewolf book. So I had just, um, put it on a app. Uh, there's a lot of different reading apps nowadays, as it turns out. Um, and it's called dream. And that is another one that I like to do. Um, and, and, and the second part to your question, I, I like a lot of like history and archeology. span So I may one day would like to write a lot about um, like ancient history related to Vikings. And I hope to go to Sweden one day. Part of our ancestry is Vikings on my, um, on my dad's side. And the name Lakeberg is actually one of the um, names up in, up in Sweden. So your own uh, history and your own personal uh, uh, ancestry comes from that uh, and everything. So uh, interesting. Well, it's all, of course, that whole uh, period, you know, like when you're talking about uh, the Lost Kingdom and things like that, uh, a lot of the Vikings never left England and Britain. They uh, just became part of the culture there. So it's interesting. So, well, and um, 
where do you write? Do you have a special time? Do you set, set a place you know, apart? Like, do you have a room or a place that you do that? And in your method, do you write something on, like, say, a tablet, for example, like an actual paper thing? Or do you actually compose on, like, a computer? Most of my work I do on my laptop for the computer, and sometimes I write at night and sometimes very early in the morning. Um, and then sometimes I have ideas pop in my head, and I'll put it on my phone if I can. So I try to remember what I want to add into a story. How far along are you with your second book? I would say it's probably like halfway done. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And then do you have the outline for the third? I don't. I do not have the outline for the third. Actually, I did. So outside of writing, what do you like to do? I, I know in your biography you describe stuff, but even nowadays, you know, you talked about going to the lake and doing things like that. But uh, what's fun for Amy? Um, I like being outside. So I like hiking at the different parks. Um, I also like to spend time with my son. So we go to a different or a lot of different places. Um, we go camping sometimes. We just originally went camping to, um, or I mean, we just went camping this past weekend at a, what do you call it, Goodnow Grove over um, in the Moni area. So that's the kind of things that I like to do in the summer. Uh, what's I going to say? In the in the fall and the winter. Um, sometimes I go, we like to go ice skating. And yeah, so that's a lot of different things that I like to do. Yeah, the op- all, all those things are so good because they're the opposite of writing. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to move around a lot. So I say if I'm going to be sitting down, it has to be something that will really catch my interest like this. So you also had, so do you still paint? Because that was in some of the information you had sent. I do. I do a little bit. Yeah, I, I do. Like Is it mostly have... pastoral nature stuff or what type of painter are you? Um, I do like to paint kind of like what's outside. And then some of my stuff kind of uh, gets into like a little bit fantasy type painting. So I hope one when I, you know, have a little bit more time, maybe that'll become a little better. Be able to do the book covers for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be really cool. I was just going to ask who had, did your book cover because that was uh, quite interesting for ancient names or you didn't do that yourself. Yeah, that, that book cover that I put in there um, was done by the company, but it was my idea of what to put on the put on the cover. And that was hard because I kind of like changed my mind like three different times between. And even now I'm like, should I have put the characters on or should have I just left the nature background? Because that's always been like a thing for me. The Obviously, the thing about a book cover is you want to bring people into the book. And, you know, if it's sitting on a shelf somewhere or if it's online, like it, uh, like you're cruising through, through yeah. Amazon, you want to bring in the people. And, and so maybe having three interesting characters on there would draw people in. Well, we just have about a minute left here. So can you tell us a little bit about where we can find your book uh, and also how people can find you online, your social media and contacting and things like that. So tell us how that can happen, how they can find your book and everything. Yeah, sure. If you actually type in my name and then um, 
if you type in the title, it should come up, and it is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. Um, it's it was published through Fulton Books also, so I have a web page to them, um, and I'm also have a blog, and um, that's the Amy Lakeberg blog, and I hope that um, I can help people write some of their books. So I do have information on that. We appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. That's Amy Lakeberg. Uh, her book is Ancient Names. It looks like it's going to be part of a, at least a sequel and maybe even a series. And you can find it where she said, and you can also find her on uh, social media. Amy, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing Ancient Names with us. Yes, thank you, Amy. We'd like to thank our guest this week on Art in the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world your heart.